My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. This morning, my sermon title is From Slave to Brother, and I'll be preaching primarily from the text of Philemon that you heard read just a few moments ago. This morning, I was talking with the confirmants a little bit, and we were talking, we were finishing up uh, the Apostles' Creed. And we spoke a little bit about how the gospel, right, how our faith is something that is not just something that we profess, but it's not just something that we claim to believe, but our, our faith is, is not just a part of our life that we, we have our checklist of things to do for discipline like that. Some of us are, some of us aren't. Um, Sunday, went to church, check. Went to buffet, check. I don't know if there's any buffets around here, right? Let me show you where my head is right now. That we've put that off our checklist. I went to church. I'm good for the rest of the week until Sunday. But our faith is essentially forms our core, right? And everything in our life comes from our faith, right? The way we think, the way we act, the way we approach people in public, the way we interact with our family members, the way we live our lives isn't just something that's tacked onto and then we try and make lines from that to our faith. Our faith is what forms the core of who we are. And we live our lives as informed by our faith and the God who we claim to believe in and to serve. And this works out on multiple levels. Right? Because in Christ's atoning death on the cross, we don't just believe that Christ has reunited us with the Father. We don't just believe that Christ or his atoning death and sacrifice on the cross has united us with God. It has. But that his death and resurrection has united us with one another again. Right? That God is creating for himself one whole people. From all different peoples. He's creating one new one. And so the gospel. The good news of who Jesus is. And what he's done. Is bringing us all together. Right? So that means. It not only affects how we are united to God. But our union with one another. Right? So take a look around at the person sitting to your left. And to your right. And then maybe even up on the balcony. Right? Take a second just to do that. Look to your right. Look to your left. Look behind you. Look up. Right? What Christ has done isn't just a private thing that you can take home in your heart. What Christ has done expresses itself through the way we live and through the way we treat and interact with one another. Personal relationships. Because the gospel repairs our fractured relationships with one another. And I think oftentimes we forget that, right? So often when we approach our relationships with one another, we go through intermediaries, right? There's a, uh, <laughs> there's a, um, I can't remember his name. I think his name was Milton Friedman. And he wrote about family systems. And one of the things he talked about is called triangulation. And triangulation is, you know, I have a problem with Reagan. 
But instead of going to talk to Reagan about my problem, I decided to go and talk to Floyd about my problem instead of actually talking to Reagan about my problem. My problem isn't with Floyd. Floyd has nothing to do with my problem with Reagan. My problem is with Reagan. Reagan, I don't have a problem with you. I'm just using you as an example, okay? Right? In a healthy uh, communication systems, I'm going to go talk to her and say, hey, you said this, you did this, I have a problem. Instead of bringing in a third person, right? The gospel cuts through all that and helps us actually to do that. It repairs our relationships with one another. So our relationships with one another should reflect more of the gospel than it does our family systems or the negative patterns that we've learned. And I talk about all of this because when we read this book, because we've read the whole book, Sandy just read the whole thing to you, all 20, there's only 25 verses. When was the last time you ever heard a sermon on Philemon, right? has a lot to say about how our relationships with one another are transformed by the gospel. And how that even at times will take societal structures and upend them. So from this letter, we see St. Paul writing to Philemon. Philemon is wealthy because the church at Colossae seems to be meeting in his home. Right? And as a wealthy individual, Philemon owned slaves. And there's one in particular that caused him some trouble. His name was Onesimus. And we are not told why he did this, but he ran away from Philemon's home. A brief word about slavery in the ancient world. Slaves in the ancient, in the, in the Roman world came from different ethnic groups. Right? It wasn't the Romans were really trying to, um, they were focused on one group and they saw this one group as sort of a, a, a subgroup and so you know, they persecuted one group. In the Roman world, slavery came from different ethnic groups. Right? It's a scholar named N.T. Wright, he notes that some people sold themselves into slavery to pay debts. Some were sold into slavery because they were enemy, well not sold, but they were combatants in war, right? The Roman army went into a place, they fought a bunch against the Gauls or against whoever, uh, killed a bunch of them and then captured a bunch of them to take them back, uh, to sell them into slavery or, or for their own slaves. They were captured in war and some were born into slavery. And if you were born into slavery, well, you were just, you were kind of tied into it and there's really no escape for you. Some slaves had decent living conditions and could even rise to positions of prominence in Roman households. But many didn't. And regardless, even if they did or not, they could also be subject to the worst abuses and horrible exploitations. And if they fled from their owners, they could be arrested, forced to return, and their owners had complete say over them because they were considered the owner's personal property. In fleeing Philemon, Onesimus is putting himself in a lot of trouble. And somehow he makes his way to Rome and somehow he finds himself meeting St. Paul. He becomes a Christian and he winds up actually helping Paul and serving Paul while he's under arrest in Rome. And somehow through their conversation, interaction, their story, maybe Paul listening to his story, Paul comes to believe that it's best for Onesimus to go back to Philemon's home and to be reconciled to him. So he writes this short epistle to Philemon and sends it with Onesimus and sends him back. And in his opening greeting, St. Paul begins in his usual way. 
But he addresses him as a letter from himself as a prisoner for Jesus Christ. Right? He's in prison for the spread of the gospel. The very gospel that has transformed Philemon's life and has come to transform Onesimus' life has landed him in prison. Paul greets a few other people from the church based in Philemon's home and then he lays out his prayers for him. He tells Philemon that I have derived much joy from you and comfort from you and from your love and how, how the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through him. Right? You're, you're having this house church. You're, you're bringing everybody together. You're showing love and refreshing people's hearts. That is fantastic and it brings me joy. Because I've seen the love that you have for others. And hi Paul's highlighting all the ways in which Philemon has been a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And a blessing to him and his ministry. And how this blessing has refreshed the hearts of all the others there in Colossae. So we can gather from this then that Philemon is, is, for lack of a better word or better phrase, a good Christian. That is to say, he models in his life what he professes to believe. Right? So it's not a reach then to say that this would carry over to how he treated those in his household. And that would include his slaves. That he would not have been abusive or unfair to them. Or exploited them. Or subjected them to the worst of the worst. Or else Paul would have noted as such in his letter. After this, he gets to the heart of his reason for writing. He says, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Essentially, St. Paul is saying, I could command you, I could instruct you, I could tell you what to do, but instead I'm going to ask. And the reason why is I'm appealing to you because I'm an old man. I'm a prisoner for what I have given to you. And I've become Onesimus' father in the faith. He says, my child Onesimus, whose father I became. Onesimus has become St. Paul's spiritual son by becoming a Christian and by helping Paul in his imprisonment. There's been a change in relationship. And that change in relationship plays itself out in different ways. See, even though Philemon and Onesimus, on the social hierarchy ladder, they are from different classes in Christ, right? All of those differences in class, in wealth, and position are totally meaningless. They are brothers now in Christ. And they share a father in St. Paul, right? And, and this new equality overrules any sort of arbitrary social caste system that they fall under. This is incredibly subversive, brothers and sisters, for that time period. And I think a partial explanation for why Paul doesn't directly tell Philemon to grant Onesimus freedom. It seems to be that he's heavily hinting at it and implying it, though. He says in verse 15, For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. 
especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. That is incredibly subversive for that time period, brothers and sisters, because St. Paul is saying, that person who's essentially legally your property is now my son. And because he's my son, he is now your brother. And if he goes back to you, he's not just a servant to you anymore. He is also your brother in Christ too. Nobody else would have said anything like that. They would have said, we're going to send this guy back to you. You can do with him what you will. You can punish him how you will. You have complete control over who he is, what he is, what he's done. And you can punish him in any way you see fit. Paul says he is your brother. Completely unending the social hierarchy there. And if he's his brother, then that means that Philemon has to continue to treat him with love and with care and he doesn't tell him to do this explicitly, but from what he's saying, I believe it's heavily implied to grant him his freedom. He tells Philemon, receive him as you would receive me. Right? So all the joy, all that affection, all that care, all that love that you would show if I showed up at your door the one day and you said, Paul, it's you. Come in. Let's have a feast. Stay in my nicest guest room. Let's relax and chill out and have some fun. Recline and eat some grapes. I don't know. However they feasted back then, right? All of that love and care that you would show me when I send him back to you, you need to treat him the same way. Man, sounds like somebody we would have heard from in the Gospels. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And in a verse very, remini uh, very reminiscent to me of the parable of the Good Samaritan, Paul says, If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Right? So maybe Onesimus stole some property. Maybe he stole some money. Maybe he did something bad and he fled. Paul says, Whatever was taken, whatever was lost, or whatever was damaged, he says, I will repay. I will repay. But then he says, you basically owe me though <laughs> for what God has done for you. But I'm not going to play that card. Right? He says, I will repay to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Right? Much of the letter is like this. Paul saying what his rights are in this whole situation. And how he isn't going to claim those rights but he will rather trust in Philemon doing the right thing in this situation. He's asking him. He's like, I could command you to do this. Right? As an apostle of Jesus Christ, in prison for the sake of the gospel, and from me, you basically owe your life in Christ because I was the one who came and ministered Christ to you. Right? So if it wasn't for me, you would have no life in Christ. So you need to do this. He doesn't do that. He reminds him of that, but then he says, I appeal to you. Right? It's sort of like parents and kids. Right? You teach your kids with the expectation that what you teach them will be what they live out in public. Right? So Isaac just started, he had his first week of school. God help us, right? And so we've been trying to teach him. When you get angry, you know, don't scream and roar and kick your feet and throw things. Right? Take a deep breath. Count to four. Thank you, Daniel Tiger, for that song, by the way. If you're, I know you're not listening because you're a cartoon, but it's helpful, right? And you hope 
that filling his head with these lessons and then acting them out on our own, right? Because let's face it, if you have kids, they're going to make you angry. And so the other day we were talking, he was making really angry. And I had a, a, a paper in my hand from on the floor and I picked it up and I slammed it down on the floor and I was so angry. And he was looking at me like this and I'm like, okay, okay. And so I put the paper down and I said to myself, when you feel so mad, you want to roar, take a deep breath. I sang the song and I counted. One, two, three, four. Because I want him to do that. I don't want him to throw things. I want him to see me doing that with the expectation, right, that when he goes to school, when something makes him mad, when the teacher says, come in from outside, or when the teacher says, put the coloring book away or the crayons, put the, we're going to learn our letters now, that he won't, that he'll respond in the way that we're trying to train him, right? And it's a similar thing here, right? Paul is like, the way I've shaped you, the way I've formed you in the faith, this now needs to live itself and work itself out, not just in the way you treat me, but in the way that you need to treat Onesimus when I send him back to you. Because, like St. Paul will say in uh, his letter to the Corinthians, he says that love keeps no record of wrong. Right, so when we look at this story, when we, when we look at this, at, this, at this epistle, we see the gospel undermining social hierarchies, right? And that's the same for us today. It's the same for us today, right? The one percenters, billionaires, millionaires, middle class, those at the poverty line, those under the poverty line. If we are in Christ, doesn't matter where you come from, we are all equal. We are all one. We live in a culture, right, that's so focused on equity that it's lost the sight of what equity actually is and how true equity is enacted. True equity is enacted through us coming together and being united as one in Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what country you come from, it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter how much money you have, how much money you don't have. If you are in Christ, we are one family, which is why Jesus says, right, leave your father and mother. He's, he's using hyperbole when he says, hate your father, hate your mother, and follow me. He's not saying that you literally have to have seething hatred and anger for your parents to follow him. What he's saying is you have to treasure me more than anything. Because he's forming a new people with ties closer than our own families. And so in Jesus, we are all equal. We are all one in him. And when we come together and worship, this is magnified but doesn't change when we leave the doors of the church. And it's unfortunate and it's sad, brothers and sisters, that in many churches... There will be people who, even though we are all one in Jesus, will give preferential treatment to those who may have more than somebody else. And, and the Bible tells us explicitly in the book of James, don't do that. I worked for a megachurch for many, many years, and we had this massive conference. We'd have thousands and thousands of people, and we rented out a massive conference room and center, right? And so for the, the, some of the wealthy people that came, we didn't want to inconvenience them, right? So they could come in a special entrance, and then we had seating set aside for them so they wouldn't have to be inconvenienced with waiting outside with anybody else. They were friends with the pastor, or they were friends with people in the church, or they gave a lot of money or whatever, so they could go sit in a special VIP area, right? The Bible says don't do that. 
don't do that. Because we are all one in Christ. When we come together, all of our social distinctions and classes, color, whatever, none of that should matter when we enter the doors of this place. And when we leave the doors of this place, none of that should matter. Because what this letter shows us is that for what, as in gratitude for what God has done for us in Christ, we are to then give up our rights for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? Philemon had every legal right to do whatever he wanted to in Esimus. But he has an, I don't want to say an obligation. I don't want to say duty. But he has as an outpouring of Christian love to show grace and mercy to Onesimus. And to receive him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. As a brother. Because this is what Christ has done for all of us, brothers and sisters. This is what he has done for us. Christ doesn't die for the sins of the world and for all humanity and say, what I've done for you doesn't count for you. Right? He doesn't say, you know, Ray, it doesn't count for you, but Gina, it counts for you. He doesn't say, Lynn, it counts for you, but, you know, Joanna, it doesn't count for you. What Christ has done counts for everyone, right? Because Christ is trying to show and extend his love to everyone, to all humanity. He's trying to bring back all of humanity. Scripture says it is God's will that none should perish. God goes the extra mile to bring love and restoration, right? Does that mean that all will be saved? No, because ultimately at the end of the day we can reject or accept what God has done for us in Christ. But God shows love to all humanity to reconcile us all to him and to one another. And what he has done, reconciling us to God to his death and resurrection on the cross, plays itself out then in our lives in the church, how we treat each other, and how we treat those who are on the outside of the church. Those who are outside of the doors. We are to treat them with love and care as well. Because the hope is, is that they will repent of their sin and receive Jesus and be saved and join his family. So brothers and sisters, let us have our hearts refreshed as well, right? Let us be confident that we will do more than Paul has even asked, right? That we will be gracious and kind and forgiving to one another, especially those who are of the household of faith. And so to our Lord and Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy, good, and life-creating spirits. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's Stone Church. We're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zion's Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.